Hello, Texans. So much good audio today on the podcast. I don't know where to begin, honestly, because I've got Doug Vosick, who's the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications for the Texans, and he knows all about the uniforms and stuff like that. The uniform changes to be, in fact, maybe I should start there, or maybe I should start with Troy Calhoun, who was the first offensive coordinator with Gary Kubiak here with the Texans, and he happens to be head coach of the Air Force Academy since 2007. He was only here one year, then took over at Air Force, and at the time, and I didn't tell him this in the interview, Gary Kubiak said that guy could have that job for life. He was a QB at Air Force under Fisher DeBerry, has coached there since 07 and done a remarkable job, and they play at NRG Stadium Saturday night against Sam Houston State. It is going to be a showdown as the Bearcats are now an FCS or FBS. No, they were FCS. It's D1. That's what I call it still. Anyway, Troy Calhoun's with us. And also Jerry Sandusky. Not that Jerry Sandusky. Jerry with a G, who is the voice of the Ravens. But, man, he's taken a lot of grief for his name, which is a weird thing when you think about it because he happens to have the same name. Wrote an outstanding book a while ago about his dad who was losing his memory late in his life called Forgotten Sundays. But we talk about the Ravens an awful lot in the Texans and opening weekend. But let's start here. As I mentioned, Doug Vosick, who's the Senior VP of Marketing and Communications, uniform changes, and a whole bunch of other stuff about the Houston Texans and H-Town. And we caught up with him in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, and it was his first time ever being there. And I think it's your maiden voyage here. It's my first one. I finally made it. Oh, my one gosh. One year in, you invite me. I yeah, think the question go. is different. It's why is it taking so long? Yeah. You know, I don't know. Mark had to see me get some reps out there <laughs> yeah, with external media. I think you're ready he for prime time. saw me do a couple during training camp, and he's like, all right, you're finally all ready. Right. <laughs> you know, you made it You made it a year. Let's go. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we're always looking for, you know, innings eaters. We're always looking for people <laughs> that can talk a little bit, so I'm a little surprised it's taking this long. I can talk. It may get wild, but I, I can That's talk right. for sure. Oh, no, you definitely can. <laughs> and, and for people who don't know, you've given presentations to the players, to everybody in the organization, to the partners, the limited partners, the city, the fans, and the focus We've groups, all, all of it. Yeah. We've had them all. Actually, I think uh, first month on the job last year, I opened up to the, the players' room after final cuts and final roster. I may have picked on some of them for their social media game. You so that, did? That was the broad introduction wow. to, to welcome. I think that got you street cred with the players, though. I think it did. It's the first time. I, I may have worked in some other sports, but it's the first time I delivered that kind of a joke to a room where they could all kill me within five <laughs> seconds. Normally, I can outrun most of them, and right. I'm going to be safe, or I'll fight them. In that room, uh-uh. Who's the most intimidating group that you've talked to? Because when Mark's reeling all that off, I'm going, wow, that's a boy. I'd be, I'd be a little scared in front of that group and maybe that group. Players? Uh, I got to tell you, when it comes to players, it, it's the linemen. Yeah. It, they are, like, we see them on TV. We see them on, on the training field. But as soon as you're next to them, yeah, yeah. my God. Big you dudes. Like, you know they're big, but when you're mm -hmm. like that, I mean, I'm 5'11", 150. Like, you see these guys, <laughs> and you're like, woo. It, it's always funny to me because some of these guys are 23 years old, 24. Yeah. And you think, we have interns who are 23 and 24, and they're not as big. And you look <laughs> at them differently that way, right? Yep. These are kids still, but they have to behave as grown men because it's such an important business. Yeah, but then I look at some of these guys that are my height, and I'm like, man, had I just put on 40 more pounds and actually been a decent athlete. And Maybe four, I could have played. Right that, four, close. Four, you know? you know? that close. That <laughs> close. That's what you, you know. got to do. Uh, Doug, yeah, and we talked about some of those presentations. Well, I'm going to start here because 
when you talk to the players and you talk to the legends, the former Texans players, about what we're doing here and what the mindset is with, hey, really leaning into the city of Houston, H-Town made, currently we see all of that. Uh, what has their response been like to you and what has some of that engagement been like between you and those groups? It's been it's been amazing, to be honest. We have run just, a, man, a thorough process over the past year between surveys and focus groups and just regular meetings, you're talking about 10,000 people, hundreds of people through focus groups. And when it comes to fans and players, there's a lot of diverse thought in those groups, right? The way a 16-year-old casual fan may think is very different than how a day one STM may think, right? A rookie player may think differently than someone who, who already wore the jersey and went to battle for 10, 15 years, right? Very different. So I was pleasantly surprised throughout all these meetings that overall, they just want change. Mm-hmm. They just want evolution. So when you go into these meetings and you tell them that we are we we are receptive to what you have to say, we're actually going to take what you say and help drive the change through that feedback versus just, you know, smoke and mirrors kind of fake listening. When we actually show them that we're listening, it's it's been a big thing. So one was just, hey, we want change. It's time to evolve. It's time to get with the times. Two is, you know, they like to joke back with us actually. So when we talk about Go back last year. We're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna lean more into H Town. We're gonna lean more into culture. We're gonna lean more into music. We're gonna lean more into the arts. It's kind of like y'all late to the party. It's about time y'all got here, right? Mm. So for us, it's just been really validating for all those diverse groups to kind of say the same thing, like rep mm-hmm. the city better, rep the people better, and change. So hopefully, he knows we've been doing that. Yeah, Doug. One of the things that got instituted was and you talked about the fans. It made me think about the the fan council. Why was it important to do something like that? Because you talked about the focus groups with fans. You're kind of doing some of that already. But why the fan council in particular? Uh, The fan council just really gives a platform where you can get way deeper on topics, right? You do a survey, you're getting 20, 30 questions. You do a focus group over two hours, you got a very narrow list of questions because there's a lot of conversation. But if you meet with your fan council on a regular basis, you can go super deep. So use this year's campaign, H-Town Made. We ran them through even before production Here's what we're thinking. Here's the idea. Here's the concept. Here's how some of that could look. And they gave us real-time feedback. And I'll be honest, the campaign wasn't originally called H-Town Made. That came from the fans. They gave us us a live edit in the room, and we're like, that makes a whole lot of sense. And that again, the diversity of fans. We had 16-year-olds, 55, 60-year-olds, day one fans, fans that are new to us, and for them to kind of all unite around some of that feedback. So... That depth of knowledge, that depth of feedback, fan council is critical. I'll be even things that you don't normally think about to go that far in depth. We had an hour long conversation last month about parking. Ooh, parking's got a lot better over the past year. We have a a new game plan. We've done a lot of traffic studies with the team. However, just here from a fan perspective for a whole hour, we thought that'd be a five minute conversation, right? Oh, no. So for them, like we we educated them on everything we've been doing, and then they offer Mm. a few suggestions in between that they live that life every Sunday. Right, and then you get construction thrown in, and it oh, boils everything. I, well, I wish we controlled that, right? Yeah, I exactly. Wish I wish Can you that. hold off on some of that stuff? Doug Vosick <laughs> joining us, Texans senior vice president, marketing and communications. All right, uniforms. This may have come up a few you have times. To ask. You have to ask. Have yeah. to ask. Yep. <laughs> where are we at? Where are we going? And there's a lot attached to that. So, what can you share with us, high level, right now? I mean, I'll answer any question you have. Okay. Right. So, high level, we're finally at a point where. Designs are done, which Ooh. means it's a drawing on a piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, between probably two months ago and November, Nike's working on actually making the one-of-one prototypes. 
And we've shared in the public, Cal has stated publicly that we will have four new uniforms. So across the board, all four will be new. So we literally get four jerseys sent to us in November, or maybe Oof. we'll go out to Nike and Beaverton and see them in person. And, and that's the moment where drawing comes to life. So um, we are finally at that stage where jerseys are locked, pants are locked, socks are locked, helmets are locked, uh, which means we may have a few tricks up our sleeve for, for next year. Uh, way to honor tradition, but also try some new stuff along the way. So all that's done, and we're just waiting for those first prototypes that we, we can't wait to get our hands on. Okay, this is going to be kind of a touchy-feely kind of question in some sense, but changing uniforms, it's a bigger deal, I think, than a lot of times I think about. I'm like, I don't care what we wear. I just want us to play well. I want us <laughs> yeah. to win a championship. I, but, but I know that it means a lot to a lot of people, including the guys that are in that locker room playing in that, that new jersey. Yep. How nervous are you about what the reaction will be to the jersey whether it's nationally locally etc and i know they're i mean i haven't seen what they look like so i don't know but and for me i'm like whatever we could wear yellow i don't it doesn't matter <laughs> how nervous are you about the response to what those jerseys look like and how it comes out to the public well rest assured we're not wearing yellow good so we're we're good cross there. that off the list we're, we're good there just get that one out there Gone. um Here's what I say in that we are very confident in what we are rolling out next year. And the confidence comes from the process. Mm. When you run that many people through a process, right. right, and you actually listen, and that feedback becomes kind of what you tell Nike to do, you have some level of confidence that you're delivering on fan need, right? It's right. not about what I think. It's not about what Greg Grissom thinks. It's not about what Cal McNair thinks. It's about what the people think, right? right? So we can honestly say the fan feedback drove the process, drove the feedback. And then, yeah, when we met with players. Maybe they have some own ideas of their own. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, once we actually unveil the uniforms, there's one that really was driven hard by player feedback. Interesting. And it's really, really cool as a result yeah. of it. So to me, it's like the feedback we got through the process was diverse, right? Mm -hmm. there. Sometimes you go into research and you're hoping, man, I just want majority opinion. That way I could say two-thirds of people want X, right? Right. 80% want X, and that really drives hard where you're going. Fortunately or unfortunately in our process, we didn't hear that. We heard, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, and it yeah. was all over the map, and hmm. there was no universal consensus. And the key topics that were discussed in all those were, if you look at our current uniform, it's kind of classic, right? Mm -hmm. Simple, understated. So there's a group of fans that want to continue that tradition. I want timeless, simple, classic, but modernize it. Okay. Right. There's another strong group of fans that are like, no, let's get crazy. Yeah. Right. Uniforms are way different now than they were 20 years ago. So is there a way to honor tradition, but get wild with the design? Right. And some people like presumptuously assume that means younger fans want to get wild. It's all different kinds of fans yeah, that yeah. want to get wild. So that's one. It's just like, are you going simple, clean? Or are you getting a little wild in design? Two is a lot of fans said to us, hey, you, you know, our logo is, is a bull. You got horns. You know, I'd mm -hmm. like to see the horns become part of our identity more than just a logo. So again, you go and test that and you talk to 10,000 fans and have them in focus groups. And same thing, some fans will be like, no, thank you. I don't want to see horns. And they have another strong <laughs> no, opinion that's you. like horns, 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 yeah, right. right? So how are you, how you going to take care of two very diverse groups there? And then maybe I know you're going to ask me at some point, you know, uh -huh. there's this whole debate on this color, right? This H-Town blue. You right. don't say. This beautiful uh, a light blue color. But for those who don't know, why don't you share with us, because I know you did the research, the H-Town blue goes back a long way. This is part of the history of the city, it right? Does. It's history of city, and honestly, aside from us doing the research, again, we heard it from the fans. So a lot of people don't even realize this, that 
and this is from fans, that there's a 120-year legacy in H-Town regarding, we'll just call it a light blue color, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which we'll fondly call H-Town blue now, right? Because right. our city, we own that color right. at this point. So in 1890, they didn't call it H-Town blue. Ma- maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. But I wasn't alive then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, ma- maybe you were. No, no, you're good. You're close. (laughs) So if you go all the way back, right, you got the blue bonnet, you got the stay flower. Right. That is a light blue color. And Mm -hmm. of course, you're going to find that color throughout our community, right, Right. in in the flower. Two, when the street signs started, right, which in a lot of cities, they're above ground. Mm -hmm. In H-Town, in those historic neighborhoods, you're looking at tiles on the curb and on the concrete. What color are those tiles? They're white and... H-Town blue. H-Town blue. Mm -hmm. All right. Look at the city flag. What color is the city flag? H-Town blue. H-Town blue. Uh, let's use another one. Uh, when NASA relocated here, right? Oh. They may have been dark blue. When they relocated to our city, what color did they change their logo to? Oh, H-Town Blue with the Lyndon Johnson Space Center. H-Town Blue. Yeah. Right? And then perhaps there is a football team that comes into town at some point and chooses <laughs> a light blue color. Vaguely familiar. They yes. probably just look back and are like, look at all this light blue around us. We should probably mm-hmm. use it, right? Right. But take it outside of football then. You go HPD, you go fire. Light blue uniforms, light mm-hmm. blue cars, light blue choppers, and then just walk around H Town now. So if you want to go look at look at microbrews, right? Look at a lot of local breweries. They do H Town blue colors. Some of them do H Town blue tile special edition cans. Mm. You go to the clothing brands. We'll go like Dio, Savage Hearted, Seventy Fifth and Canal. They always are rocking H Town blue in their collections every single season. So the color has completely transcended. Right, football at this point. Yeah. And if you really think about it, football was just one part of that 120 mm-hmm. year story. So many fans love the color. Mm-hmm. Um, you could imagine all the complexities around legal and intellectual oh, yeah. property yeah. and all those things that exist, but we may have found a way to to pay a tribute to the color. And oh. We're just kinda we're just kinda leaving it at that of like a tribute. Paying homage like University of Houston homage. is. Well, that's uh, that's all in, right? Yeah. yeah. That that's all in for sure. And and obviously um, honestly, I think the uniforms are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, they, are, they look good. They are on point, and uh, I think social media and the media will tell you from yesterday, right? People are loving those. Yeah. Yep. Um, you could imagine in a collegiate space, maybe they got a little bit more freedom around intellectual sure. property. Maybe a lot. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, because we're in the NFL and there's another NFL team that sure. has some IP around that. Yeah. Um, but we're still able to, wait to find a way to do something. Yep. So right. I know we're excited based upon the fan feedback, which was it doesn't have to look like that other team's uniform, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't have to look like what U of H just did, but can the Texans figure out a way to pay tribute? And I think we nailed that. Yeah, well, I can't wait to see four uniforms. Four. That is outstanding. Wow. Yep. When do we see them? When do they yep. get unveiled to the public, Doug? April of next year. So That's not that crap. far away. If you really think about it, it's not that far <laughs> no, away. No, it's not, because we have the season that'll occupy our time. Correct. <laughs> and, and then the combine, and then... Uh, and then you're, you're like a week before draft. You're like, all right, let, let's unveil these things. So are you are you like a, a dad with kids where there's always <laughs> one of yours that's the favorite? Like, you're my favorite kid. Like, you're my favorite jersey. Wait, you're my favorite? You're good. You're good, but you're my favorite kid. I hope you your kids it. aren't listening I'm to this. Kidding, Say, I'm kidding. I'm joking. That, is that our next I'm interview sh- where I ask you guys who your favorite kids I are? I thought you were going to go expectant father, like, I got to get it out. Or no, expectant no, 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 no. mother. Wait, you know? listen, every parent out there listening knows that. They might say that they don't have a favorite, but they got a favorite. Anyway, do you have a favorite of the four? Um, I think we all will. Okay. I think okay. we all will. And, oh. and, I, and I say that because, as I was alluding to, of there was no consensus in yeah. the fan feedback. Yeah. 
So we took the approach, which is a little bit different than maybe current NFL trend. If you look at a, a lot of the more recent new uniforms, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I, won't, I won't take shots at any other team, they tend to have like one simple look, and then they apply it to three or four uniforms. So you're just basically looking at the same uniform yeah. on repeat. Here's right. a white one. Here's a red one. Here's a black one. For us, over four, we said, okay, if you want timeless traditional, here's the one uniform that answers that. Okay. If you want to take one step further and say timeless traditional gets refreshed, we have one for that. If you said, hey, I'm into this bull thing, let's get wild, we have one for that. And if someone said, hey, I want you to pay homage to H-Town Blue, and if the players are saying, I want something tough, I want something mean, we got something for that. So for us, there's going to be favorites. I've got two of mine, and I'm sure the fans are going to find one or two of theirs out of the four. Okay, I'm asking this question for the eighth floor crew on game days. <laughs> Will oh. you be able to read the numbers from the eighth floor yes. radio booth? I was not consulted about reading numbers. I, th- this is important to broadcasters. Can you read the numbers from the eighth floor with binoculars? We can't I'm have worried like about somebody blue uniforms lap. and a little bit lighter blue with the numbers. They got to pop. I mean, I, I can read them. You might need to get your prescription checked. I mean, <laughs> okay. it's I, the most important thing to broadcasters to be able to see the numbers. Well, so, and the fans, too, they want to know what they're looking at. Oh, of course. At. So, I, I can, you know, I can't give away too much. Okay. But you could imagine in a in a brand refresh, right. you know, maybe the numbers are refreshed a little bit. Sure. Maybe mm. we looked at some things on fabric to make them have a little bit more shimmer and shine. So may, maybe they'll like catch that. your eye a little bit better from up top. There you go. Floor. like that better. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. So may, you know, maybe there's some tricks there that'll help mm. our eyes see it a little bit better. Very yes. nice. Doug Vosick joining us, Senior Vice President, Marketing and Communications. And for the fans listening, they might think, well, uniform, you just order another one, design it, order it. Can't you wear it on Tuesday, right? It takes time. And in fact, you sped up the process quite a bit. You want to share a little bit about that? You came in here and said, wait a minute, we have to wait three, four years? What can we do to speed this thing up? And you've sped it up a lot. You know, I can't I can't take full credit at all. Okay. At all. So typically you could imagine a two or three year process to create new uniforms because the team's gonna figure out what's their brand identity, how do they wanna look? And then you send that as like inspiration to the NFL and Nike. And then they say, here's how we interpret your brand mm-hmm. on uniforms. We kind of did it all at once, right? We said, we have some hypotheses we want to test. Let's bring all the fans in, as many as we can get to test them. So that helped us cut down a lot of time on the research side. Two, I would say, you know, this is so important to the organization that, you know, Cal McNair, Greg Grissom, myself, and a few other staff, we immediately went to the NFL and we said, we want to refresh. This is the feedback we're hearing from our fans. We even took a trip out to New York to meet with Goodell in person and said, here's what we're thinking. Here's what we'd like to do. And from that moment on, the league said, we want to support the Houston Texans. We think mm-hmm. with everything that's happening down in H-Town between on and off field, all this excitement you're building, how can we help? So we did have quite some help from the league and from Nike to say, let's cut some timelines out here. Let's move as fast as we can because let's help the Houston Texans be their best new selves as soon as possible. And for us, that meant 2024. We talk a lot about jerseys. I want to ask you something, Doug. You're not from Houston. And I, like as Mark said, you got here as fast as you could. And I ask you that because I don't know that I've been around an individual who's embraced an area or community more than I've seen you embrace in the time that you've been here. Why did you feel that was so important to not only grasp, okay, the Houston Texans, but the city of Houston? And I think about H-Town Made, it's an interesting story you told about the fact that, you know, that came out of the fan council. Yep. 
But why was that important for you to embrace this community and this city the way that you have and then let that filter through everything that you've done? You know, again, I, I can't take credit for it, right? And I, I, will, I will use Mark's uh, infamous line in a different way, right? I, I will say you don't have to be born here to be from here, number one. Mm. So for me, like, I am a different creative individual, right? I'm into music, I'm into art, I'm into culture, I'm into all these different things. And if you think about our city, what a beautiful place for yeah. all those things, right? right? Mm -hmm. So for me, like, yeah, it may have taken me a while to get here, but like, I see myself in this city. And then the way that the fans have embraced outsiders like me to come in and trusted outsiders like me to come in and help shape, right? And help be the stewards currently of it. That means a lot, right? right. So for me, it was, this is a really cool city, man, yeah. right? And it happens to match my own personal brand. So that that's number one. So it just, it made me feel at home right away. But what drove the process was the fan feedback, yeah. right? First or second month on the job, we're talking to fans, forget formal focus groups and formal surveys. We're talking to fans at training camp. We're talking to fans at every preseason game. We literally walk the building sometimes. We're like, hey, why are you wearing that light blue jersey other than it you know, says Warren Moon? You look like you're 18. You, you, you weren't around for that team, right? But, yeah. They're like, oh, it's just cool. I love this color, right? So all that feedback, fans were saying us, even from those casual conversations, Y'all don't feel H-Town. Y'all don't feel like part of the city. They say, we'll give you due credit. You guys have done a lot financially for the community to the tune actually of our event last night, receive yep. a premiere. You know, we're over $45 million now that we've been able to put back into the community. But they said, it's not just about the give back. How are you reflecting us? How are you reflecting our city? How are you reflecting people? How are you reflecting culture? And we didn't necessarily maybe have all those answers a year and a half ago, mm -hmm. right? So for us, it was just listen to the fans, yeah, right? right? And then once we had a good sense of what was going on, meeting with Cal and team just to say, hey, here's what we're hearing. Seems like a no-brainer. And then it became about leaning on the fans and leaning from a lot of people we have here that are from H-Town, born and raised, to help shape that future of the creative and the marketing or whatever it may be. So yes, this is a city that I think I love because it really reflects my own character. But at the end of the day, the fan feedback from day one made us go, let's lean in. Yeah. And you've leaned in a lot. It's good. H-Town made. H-Town made. All right, Doug. Thanks a lot for Thank joining you. us. We'll visit again soon. We'll make this a regular kind of thing. That's okay with you. Looking forward to coming back. All right. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Great visit with Doug Vosick, the Senior VP of Communications and Marketing for the Houston Texans. Now, I mentioned it at the top of the show. Troy Calhoun, head coach at Air Force. They're playing Sam Houston State Saturday night at NRG Stadium. And man, oh man, what a great visit with him as he was here in 06 as Gary Kubiak's first offensive coordinator. So let's catch up with him, shall we? Coach, great to visit with you and looking forward to welcoming you back to Houston. How's it going? Well, Mark, uh, it's going well and uh, certainly an honor uh, for us, our staff, our cadets, and uh, most of all, the United States Air Force Academy to have an opportunity to go down to Houston and uh you just look at the history of the Air Force, specifically what happens, uh, you know, during those years and how prominent NASA was. And uh, and yet a large, large number of um, young men and young women that have uh, come from that state, a great state of Texas, and specifically they're from uh, the Houston area. You know, it's funny you bring it up that way because my father is Dutch and he trained with NATO in jets in the 50s in San Antonio and Laredo. And a lot of guys who flew those jets in the Air Force went into the space program. So there was a lot of crossover there. So it's a big part of the history of it all, right? Mark, it's phenomenal. 
when you look at the state of Texas, uh, truly, you know, everybody's kind of has their home base or home identity. The number of bases that we have in San Antonio, uh, you know, like I said, NAS, I mean, throughout the whole area and just how incredibly patriotic the state is in terms of uh, the way they embrace and respect our service members. Troy Calhoun, coach of Air Force, joins us on Texans Radio. Now let's get into it. You have the big game this weekend with Sam Houston State. You're coming off a victory. But before we get into that, Coach, I have to ask you about your time here in Houston as offensive coordinator, Gary Kubiak's first year. You knew him from Denver or maybe before that even. I don't know. But tell me about what you recall from being part of that time in this organization's history. Well, it was, I mean, just a remarkable time. It truly is. And I, 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 there's no way to probably fully elaborate upon how many of those experiences that we came across during that year that you still utilize today. And uh, it was neat from the family part of it, just uh, with Amanda being from Paraland, uh, the years that she spent working at Old Astro World and telling stories and how many times late on a Thursday night she'd call and say, you know what, how about swinging by Papa Do's or Papa Cita's there by, uh, at that time, which was Reliant, now is NRG. And, uh, you know, I think during that year was just trying to put a foundation in place. And we had the number one pick in the draft, uh, which ended up being Mario Williams. Uh-huh. First pick in the second round ended up being a player from Alabama named D'Amico Ryans. And you went through, that was a really, really good draft. Uh, that helped put the Texans in a place where they had a pretty good run there in the following years. And uh, j- j- just a marvelous time, far too short, quite frankly. And uh, it- it's one of those decisions you don't want to make, whether, hey, you-, you remain in Houston with the Texans or you come back to the Air Force Academy. But uh, at that time, that was a really, really good problem to have. Well, before we get into your return to Air Force, you mentioned D'Amico Ryans, who's the head coach here now. Was there anything you saw? I know you were coaching offense, but what did you see from D'Amico at the time that you can recall that might indicate, hey, this guy's got some outstanding leadership ability? Yeah, he did. You know, I mean, just one, how bright-eyed he was, uh, just so instinctive. Uh, and he just had that drive and that verve and that juice that you want in human beings, especially as an inside linebacker. And um, certainly he's, I mean, just grown and done amazing things as a coach. And I'll tell you, it was really, really neat uh, here in November, or what? Well, what is that, 10 months ago, uh, we had the 49ers here as they were getting ready to go play down in Mexico City and uh, had a chance to visit with D'Amico and watch him practice and uh Goodness, how can you not be fired up for the Houston Texans for what could be on the horizon? Now, it may take a little time, just as it did during the Kubiak years, too. Yeah, it took a little time, 500 in year two, and it climbed from there. Year two, you went back to the Air Force Academy as head coach. Troy Calhoun joining as head coach at Air Force. You played quarterback there. When you were playing quarterback for Air Force, did you ever think you'd return as head coach? Absolutely not. <laughs> that really wasn't something that even went through your mind. You know, when I came to the academy, Mark, I wanted to fly. I wanted to be a pilot. Uh, I had my physical late in my junior year here at the academy, and they said, you know what, your eyesight's not quite where it needs to be. And mm. 
this day and age, it'd be an easy fix. You know, they can zap right across your eyeballs, and uh, whether it's LASIK or PRK or whatever is required that way. And um, and so, you know, he ended up going down in another way to serve as an officer, which was splendid, and, and you're glad you did. But um, I think really once you got into coaching, uh, especially in the National Football League, I mean, it, it just – how much football you were exposed to uh, just day in, day out. I mean, the amount of film you were able to study, uh, the ideas and the adjustments that had to be made, and um, and truly the opportunity to be able to learn from Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak and a good number of other coaches is absolutely off the charts. Troy Calhoun joining us, head coach at Air Force, playing Sam Houston State at NRG Stadium Saturday night at 7. You took over for the legendary Fisher DeBerry, and there you are, Coach. That had to be a lot of pressure. He's a legend, had a lot of success, but you've had a lot of success, and seemingly, I'm not going to say it came right away or came easily, but it did come right away. What went into that for you, being able to maintain the winning tradition at Air Force? Mark, I, I, again, I, I, you know, the, the amount of things that we're able to implement from the time in both Denver with the Broncos and then also there in Houston and kind of marry up um, with, with the requirements of the Air Force Academy. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I think is so challenging here is finding somebody that you can recruit. Um, certainly they have to be an outstanding student when they are here. They're going to take two levels of calculus. They're going to take two levels of chemistry, two levels of physics. They're going to take aeronautical engineering, astronautical engineering, civil engineering. I mean, just they're going to take every one of our guys that will be playing for us this Saturday is taking at least 18 or 21 semester hours in addition to all their military requirements that they have in their squadron. So, you know, your meetings are very, very short. Uh, you have some time in the weight room and then your practices. Uh, the longest you ever, ever practice is 90 minutes. So. Mm. Uh, it does make you be highly organized uh, to be point on and exactly how you teach and uh, and certainly uh, be very, very efficient in terms of what you get done on the field. Sam Houston is the opponent for Saturday night, Coach. What can you tell us about the matchup as this is a team that has had a lot of success in FCS and now is an FBS team trying to make some noise? What can you tell us about Saturday night? Well, they're quite, quite talented uh, I do think when you look back about the last five, seven years, uh, you think back to the FCS, you know, you, there are three teams that just absolutely stood out. You know, you go back here in recent years, and it's it's North Dakota State, it's Sam Houston, and it's James Madison. And uh, you just look at the sheer number of transfers uh, that they've also brought in in order to elevate their roster. And, uh, Mark, we're going to have a very, very difficult challenge. And, um we're at a place where we don't bring in any transfers, and uh, so this will be this will be a tough matchup for us. Yet at the same time, there's a reason why young men and young women come to the United States Air Force Academy uh, to be challenged, because ultimately that's how you grow, not only on the character part, but also to build the uh, the leadership attributes that we need in our future leaders and officers for our country. How has your offense evolved over the years, Coach? Because you were with the Kubiak system, as we mentioned, Denver, and here with the Houston Texans. And we know what Air Force was running traditionally with Coach DeBerry, and you took it over. So how have you changed it over the years? Well, the, the zone-based uh, zone base system that we utilize is exactly what we did in both Denver and Houston. And uh, 
that's the predominant part of our running game. I think the other part is we want to be tremendous in the passing game. And uh, last year we were number one in the country in yards per attempt, number one in the country in yards per completion. And you have to be balanced. Now, what's balance? Uh, it may vary a little bit from year to year. And I think the other part that you recall from being with Houston is it's always got to be who do you have personnel-wise, and you have to adapt accordingly. I remember the year um, that we had there in 2006. We knew that we needed to have you know, a precise, just be really, really exact in terms of our passing game. I think we led the NFL that year in completion percentage. We had a pretty talented guy in Andre Johnson, and we just felt like, hey, we've got to move him, and we've got to line him up everywhere. And because of it, he ended up leading the NFL in catches. I think he had like 102 that season. Well, yeah, he was amazing. Coach, when you look at the other service academies, how does recruiting go? Because you need a particular type of athlete, and I know you recruit against the other schools, but things are different. It's a different landscape, like you mentioned, with some of the requirements. What about the other service academies, though? Is there a competition between Army, Navy, Air Force as far as, hey, I want this athlete. Don't you want to be in the Air Force instead of the Navy? Does that go on? (laughs) Well, I'll say this. These are extremely hard uh, candidates to find, you Mm -hmm. know, because what are you looking for? You're looking for somebody that's a 3'7-plus student, uh, we are still test mandatory, so that means at least a 1250 SAT or a 27 ACT, and you have to be willing to serve for our country. And uh, and yet at the same time, we want somebody that's talented so we can play competitive football. And, uh, you know, I, I will say this. I think there's a little bit of something that stirs in each young person as far as what branch they gravitate to. Uh, so maybe not quite as much as you'd think <laughs> uh, from afar. All right, settle this for me, Coach, because I have not been to a game in Annapolis or at West Point, and I've been told they're both amazing atmospheres. So I'm not going to talk about Air Force, but if I have a choice to go to see a game at Navy or a game at Army, where should I go first? Well, I mean, without answering that question correctly, (laughs) how about going somewhere where you see Pikes Peak and the Rocky Mountains and a clear Colorado blue sky and you know, right over the top, you think you're almost going to get a really good haircut when those F-16s or F-35s <laughs> fly super close over the scoreboard at Falcon Stadium. Now, Mark, they're both unbelievable venues. And mm-hmm. truly, uh, when you watch the march on, you see those young men, young women that are mids or cadets and as they head out to the field right before kickoff. And it I mean, it does make the hair on your arms and the back of your neck stand up just in terms of you realize, hey, these are, you know, when they were 17, 18 years old, these kids at that age, that's what they were. They were kids. They made a decision. They made a commitment to go serve for our country. And how does that not make your heart swell? Yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal stuff. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, The Air Force Academy, the whole show with you coaching the way. Former Texans offensive coordinator Troy Calhoun, head coach of the Air Force Academy, facing Sam Houston on Saturday night, 7 o'clock at NRG Stadium. Coach, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. We look forward to it. Thank you, Mark. All right, finally on the pod today, last but not least, a guy who's the voice of the Ravens. His name is Jerry Sandusky. Jerry with a G. 
and does a terrific job for them, knows everything there is to know about the team, and he's a really interesting guy, having written a really phenomenal book, actually, a few years back, and I talked to him about that as well. Let's just dig into the conversation with Jerry. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's voice of the Baltimore Ravens, Jerry Sandusky. Jerry, how's it going today? Doing great. Week one, it's time to play some football, right? It's time to go, and tell me, let's start here with the number one guy, Lamar Jackson. He's back. I know you've talked a lot about him, but we got to get into it. How has he looked to you in preparation of this one? What can we expect? Give me the entire game plan. I know you can't do that, but tell me what you do know, Jerry. <laughs> so what I, here's what I'll start with. It's a completely different offense. You know, the, 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 the ground and pound, run first, read option, 110 yards for rushing for Lamar, that, that is the pass. This is a West Coast-style offense that is all about spreading the defense out and getting the ball out of Lamar's hands fast. It's more RPO than read option. Now, that said, when you spread a field out, it's going to give Lamar more room to run at his discretion if plays break down and he wants to extend plays. And I think we'll still see plenty of that. But I don't think you're going to see nearly as much read option, especially between the tackles, where you take a guy you paid a quarter of a billion dollars to and run him through four guys who weigh 312 pounds. I just don't see that happening anymore with this offense. I, I see it much more of, quick release, get the ball in the hands of other playmakers out in space, and then really put pressure on the defenses by stretching them sideline to sideline. Might be an obvious question, but is it because of the injury issues over the years and the kind of beating he's taken, being the way he is, being so dynamic in the run game? I think that's a big part of it, Mark. I think you know he's, he's in his sixth year, and it's a, a typical progression where the new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, had a, had a great line. He said, look, he is Lamar is at the same point that Michael Jordan was in his career where he recognized, Hey, I can't just drive to the rack and dunk every time I got to develop a three point shot. And so for Lamar, it's about moving the focus of the game from his legs to his head and becoming more cerebral, see what's open, get the ball out of your hand. If there's a running opportunity, take it, but stop taking the big hits and start making big hits by making big connections with other playmakers. Jerry Sandusky, voice of the Ravens, joining us on Texans Radio. All right, what about some of the playmakers? Mark Andrews, OBJ is there now. What have you seen from the pass catchers so far in the preseason? So OBJ is a star. It's it's really it's amazing what he has brought. He has brought Hollywood star presence. He's a hard worker. He's a leader, not a diva. I, I, I'm, I'm so pleasantly surprised. And what the Ravens got with OBJ, because, you know, like you've only seen him from afar. And then you see him up close, you talk to him up close. He's so impressive. And he's really given a great sense to this offense of what it can become. The rookie, Zay Flowers, first round draft pick, is explosive and quick. And he's going to have huge yards after catch numbers. And then they bring in a veteran like Nelson Aguilar, former Eagle first round draft pick, who's a very reliable, big body guy. So, you know, you've, you've kind of got the bases covered. The big thing is it gives Lamar options other than just Mark Andrews. You know, Mark Andrews is a phenomenal tight end, but it was so obvious where Lamar was going with the ball almost every time. Last year, the Ravens were the only team in the NFL that didn't have a single wide receiver with more than 500 yards receiving. You, you can't do that in a passing offense now. You, you should have four or five guys with well over 500 yards receiving. And that means to me, Mark Andrews becomes more valuable 
because defense coordinators can't say, okay, there's 89, put all our resources there, and we're going to shut down the passing game. You can't do that anymore. Jerry Sandusky, voice of the Baltimore Ravens, joining us on Texans Radio. Give me a plus or two on offense that nobody talks about, maybe outside of the market or maybe even inside the market. Something <laughs> great or good about the Ravens offense that is undercovered. Second string tight end, Isaiah Likely. So he was a fourth-round draft pick last year, along with Charlie Kohler, another tight end. And, you know, nobody really paid that much attention to him in training camp. And then he popped in preseason. And then as the season went on down the line, he started to make some big catches. He has that knack that great tight ends do of finding the open space and, and making plays after he makes a catch. Because he was a fourth-round pick, he wasn't talked up. He wasn't talked up like a first-round draft pick. And in watching him in training camp this year, he's the kind of guy that when you spread out a defense and you start to look for where's OBJ, where's A. Flowers, where's Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely is, is the kind of guy who could have some huge games and all of a sudden the country's asking the question, hey, who, who's this kid? All right, what about on defense here? Because I see our old friend Jadeveon Clowney on this unit. Roquan Smith had a big pick against the Texans as a bear last year in the early part of the season. What about the front seven and what they're bringing here so far, Jerry? So the front seven is, is super sound, and it's all about Roquan Smith in the middle. He, he transformed this defense. When he got here mid-year last year, the Ravens shaved off almost seven points per game of what they were giving up. I mean, the guy's literally worth a touchdown every game. He's that good, but he gets the front line set and he gets the linebacker set. Patrick Queen, who was very inconsistent, talented, but inconsistent, suddenly becomes a very consistent playmaker. The concern on the Ravens defense right now is secondary. Marlon Humphrey is down. Rock is seen, who they signed in the offseason, uh, didn't play a lot in training camp. He had some injuries. And so we haven't seen a whole lot of that group. They, they brought in some, some veteran depth, but that's, to me, the front seven takes on added importance. The two young edge rushers, Adafi Owe and David Ajabo, the more pressure they can get on the quarterback, the less pressure is left on the back end with the secondary until you get Marlon Humphrey back in week two or three or four from uh, training camp foot surgery. So to me, the front seven is, is at the moment the strength of this defense. You get Marlon Humphrey back, and all of a sudden, you might have a great defense. What's Justin Tucker's popularity in Baltimore versus some of the other players? Is it unbelievable considering he's a kicker? Measure it for me, Jerry. So I'll give it to you the numbers. The first kicker in the Hall of Fame was John Stenerud, and he hit, I believe, 67% of his kicks. Justin Tucker is 92% of his kicks. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Tucker is a citywide level of confidence like you've never seen from a kicker in the NFL because the Ravens basically Ravens fans know that the Ravens can get the ball to midfield. They got a shot at closing out with a win because of Justin Tucker. I'm watching him before the last preseason game. He was kicking 70 yard field goals into the net in pregame warmups. Now, granted, that's pregame. It's not the regular season, but still, this guy's in his 12th year and he can punch the ball through from 70 yards away. He is a one-man confidence cocktail for the entire city because all you have to say is, here comes Justin Tucker, and the place feels great. Never seen anything like it. So relative to other specialists, current and former, would you put him up there with maybe McAfee, like someday he's going to have his own show? What do you think? Oh, yeah. When, look, Justin Tucker could easily be – I'd put him up there with, like, Hugh Jackman. I mean, he could, he could have his one, a one-man Broadway show. He's that talent. He's an opera singer. He's funny. He does impressions. 
He kicks 66 yard field goals. He's the most accurate kicker of all time. I could literally see him like hosting the, the late, late show or having a Broadway show. He's, he's that talented of a performer. And I think that's why he's such a great kicker. You know, where some kickers, the spotlight's too bright and the pressure is too intense. This kid thrives on a spotlight. I mean, he just comes to life. It's just, it's like his life's blood. And so whether he's singing Ave Maria at the cathedral or lining up to kick a game-winning field goal, it's kind of all in the same neighborhood for him, which is his comfort zone. Voice of the Ravens, Jerry Sandusky joining us. Jerry, you wrote a book a while back called Forgotten Sundays about your father, right? Can you share with me Correct. how it's been for you since you've written that book and the kind of response you received and maybe how things have changed over the years and, and evolved after getting so much reaction to the book? So it was, uh, it was kind of a catharsis for me to write the book. My dad, John Sandusky, had, had been a player in the NFL in the 50s and he coached in the NFL from 59 till 94, was the longest serving assistant under Don Shula. And I grew up on the sidelines as a ball boy. I saw all this in the front row. And then at the end of his life, he, he suffered Alzheimer's for the last five years of his life. And at the very end, he couldn't remember anything. You know, this amazing life, a World War II veteran, uh, second-round draft pick in the NFL. He, he won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Colts. He was an interim head coach. Like, all these great things. The number of Hall of Fame players he coached. And, and he didn't remember any of it. And so I, just, I felt compelled to, to write the book because there were such impactful memories. And then what, what came out of it was – it, it, and by the way, this also coincided with the whole Jerry Sandusky name thing from the coach at Penn State. Mm -hmm. And and really what came out of this was that you don't own your name. Your name is is a stewardship. And, and the value of your life is what you do with your stewardship of that time that you spend uh, on earth and, and in your profession and the lives you touch. And and the feedback that was so remarkable was the number of other people who had had a, a, a loved one who had suffered from Alzheimer's or had gone through a challenge and had you know learned to, to kind of stand in there. And, and really like the message of the book is that success isn't just what you're willing to do to achieve it. It's also what you're not willing to do because you do place a high value on your name and you do place a high value on the legacy that you will hand that name to in the next generation. And, and I think it resonated with people who have gone through struggles individually, who've lost loved ones to Alzheimer's. And it just kind of makes you stop and realize that you know, the, the, there's a line that I share in the book. It was the, it was the last conversation I ever had with my dad. He had this little moment of clarity that pulled him out of the deep fog of Alzheimer's. And, 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 and he looked at me and my brother and he said, man, it gets really messed up at the end. This is not how I thought it was going to end for me. Mm. Live now. Don't wait. Live now. And that's really, you know, that, that's been something that, that I think really spoke to a lot of people. And it certainly, you know, to this day speaks to me. Well, the book is called Forgotten Sundays. It's by Jerry Sandusky, and the forward was by John Harbaugh. That's amazing stuff. You got the head coach to do that. That's terrific stuff. And the book is still available Amazon and everywhere else we can get books, Jerry? Everywhere else. Uh, wherever, wherever you buy books, you should be able to get it. All right, I've got one more for you. What are people in Baltimore saying about the Houston Texans? What do they think of this matchup in the market? So it's interesting. It's, it's very interesting to talk with Ravens fans because it's a lot like talking to Ravens coaches. They don't know. Like you got a rookie head coach who's highly thought of, has a great pedigree. You've got a first-year offensive coordinator who has done some interesting things in the past and is well thought of. You've got a rookie quarterback who's the number two pick in the draft. So you've got a lot of pieces. 
but there's no tape on any of them doing anything together. I, I think this is probably the hardest game that Ravens players, coaches, and fans are going to have to prepare for maybe this decade because that is a rare combination of first-year impact people, coach, coordinator, quarterback. I don't know that I, I've seen that before. So we'll recognize the uniform. <laughs> they didn't show a whole lot in the way of strategy in preseason. I saw a lot of cover, too. I, I expect D'Amico Ryan's will be more exotic than that in the regular season. And, you know, C.J. Stroud has a lot of tools, especially if he gets out in space. Like there, there's Around town, there's an element of, you know, cautious optimism, feeling like the Ravens should win this game. But that underlying anxiety of, wow, what if these guys are really good and nobody sees them coming? And that's that's the drama that leads into week one around here. Sounds interesting. Can't wait to see you. Can't wait to call the game Sunday at noon in Baltimore, Texans, Ravens. Jerry, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Can't wait to see you when you get to town. All right. There's the voice of the Ravens, Jerry Sandusky. Jerry with a G. And that's the podcast for today. So great to have you listening and check out all the other podcasts wherever you got this one or wherever fine podcasts are available. Texans Ravens Sunday noon, Sports Radio 610, the Bull 100.3 FM. Let's go! 2023 campaign about to get underway. Have a great night. Have a great day whenever you're listening. And thank you for listening. And go Texans! <laughs>